This is the Locked On Nittany Lions podcast for Monday, October 14th, 2019. I'm your host, Kevin McGuire, a contributor to Athlon Sports and NBCSports.com. And in today's episode, we are looking back at Penn State's 17-12 victory against the Iowa Hawkeyes from Saturday night. We'll also take a look around the rest of the Big Ten, reflect on Week 7 as a whole, and maybe take an early peek at next week's game between the Nittany Lions and the Michigan Wolverines. Locked On Nittany Lions is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We publish a show every Monday through Friday and hope you will consider subscribing on your favorite podcasting platform. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. If you'd like to help support the show, we hope you'll leave a rating and a review along with your subscription to help our show and community grow. Your feedback does help the show with placement on those various podcasting apps. You can also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnNittany and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash LockedOnNittany. We've had a lot of interaction on the Twitter account and the Facebook account over the weekend, and we're going to make sure that that continues to happen moving forward. And we'll have some unique content on Twitter and on Facebook in the days to come. So be sure you're following along on both social media platforms. And again, subscribe on all your favorite podcasting apps, leave your feedback, and let us know what you think. Like I said, we've got a lot to get to in our first episode of this week, our third week with the relaunch of this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and following along. And this is going to be a big week ahead of us because Michigan's coming to town, ESPN College Game Day's coming to town. We're going to get to all that good stuff in today's episode and more in the coming days. So with all of that out of the way, well, let's clear the deck and let's get ready for our first segment as we look back at Penn State's 17-12 victory against the Hawkeyes. If you listened to any of our shows last week as we were previewing Penn State and Iowa throughout the, the week, you knew that we were expecting a low-scoring game that was going to be fueled by the defense. And that, that part of the game went very much according to script. And we also discussed the importance of Penn State being able to find some offensive rhythm as early on to kind of take that Iowa crowd out of the game. That never happened, but they were able to do the other thing I suggested was going to be important, which was weathering the storm. Iowa came out ready to play. There's no question about that. Defensively, we knew that Iowa was going to be feisty and ferocious, and they brought a lot of pressure on Sean Clifford and really rattled him early on as it looked like he was a young quarterback making his first real road game start in a tough environment. Say what you will about Maryland, but the atmosphere at Kinnick Stadium at nighttime, a much different animal for a young quarterback to stay composed in. And it was clear he was a little jumpy. Those first couple of drives that Penn State had um, didn't get anything going in that first quarter, but they were only down three nothing going into the first quarter. I consider that a major victory from Penn State. And of course, you kind of expected that in certain amount of time, Penn State was going to be able to find something to work with with the running game and create some comfort and a little take a little bit of the pressure off of Clifford. And that's exactly what happened. And the player, of course, who rose to the occasion, especially in the second half, was that running back, Noah Kane, the freshman that we've been talking about and kind of suspecting that this was the game where one of the running backs was going to pretty much assert themselves as the guy. I feel pretty comfortable saying that No Kane is the guy running the football, at least for now, until proven otherwise. I think that Penn State should have every amount of confidence in handing the ball off to him and expecting him to get 
some hard-earned yards, and you had to get those yards the hard way against this Iowa team because guys like AJ Ebenezer, they were they were ready to really shut things down. And to their credit, uh, holding Penn State to 17 points was a that, that was the kind of game that Iowa needed to play. They just needed to play a little bit better offensively, get a few more plays from Nate Stanley to kind of keep the pressure on. And for a while, that just wasn't there. And you got to give credit to this Penn State defense, who once again just shuts down their opponents on the scoreboard. There were opportunities that Iowa had to make some things happen, but Penn State more or less was not letting that happen. And, you know, they they start off another game with some, you know, Iowa comes out and they're able to move the ball, but Penn State only giving up a field goal in that first quarter. That's a huge, huge way to keep your team in the game on the, in the road atmosphere. Even though you're the favorite, again, a night game in Iowa, it is tough. And Iowa doesn't let you get out of there with an easy win. So we knew that Penn State was going to earn this one, and it was probably going to go deep into the fourth quarter, and it very much did. Uh, a late touchdown by Noah Kane in the fourth quarter helps create a little bit of uh, breathing room for the Nittany Lions. Uh, Iowa does get a, a miracle touchdown. Not, not a miracle, but a miraculous touchdown where, first of all, Nate Stanley fumbles the ball but recovers it for a first down uh, in a weird play. And then immediately after that, chucks it deep to Brandon Smith, who makes a circus catch. You know, leaping over the defender and grabbing the ball and bringing it into the end zone. It was a phenomenal effort. You, you got to tip your cap to your opponent at some point in time. And Brandon Smith made a humongous touchdown. And it cut the lead to five. And it kept a little bit of the pressure on. And that's why it was important that a guy like Noah Kane was able to help Penn State milk the rest of the clock as much as possible. So Penn State moves to 6-0 and overall. They're now 3-0 and in the Big Ten. They're tied with Ohio State in the division. Of course, you know, the Buckeyes come way later on the season. There's still a few more hurdles that Penn State's going to have to clear starting this week against the Michigan Wolverines. We'll talk a little bit about what happened around the rest of the Big Ten in our second segment so you can kind of get a test for where Penn State is. But Penn State's in a really good spot right now. They've now held their first six opponents to 13 points or fewer. Uh, that's an incredible stat. You know, Wisconsin's defense getting a lot of praise for what they've been doing, deservedly so. They just pitched their fourth shutout of the week, of the season already. Um, but Penn State holding their first six opponents to 13 points or fewer, that's a pretty remarkable feat in itself. So we've got some good defense play, being played in the Big Ten right now between Penn State, uh, Wisconsin. I think Ohio State's got a pretty good defense too. And, of course, Michigan coming into town this weekend. So this is going to be... Um, a, a team that rides its defense and lets the running game kind of take the pressure off. Sean Clifford can make some plays, and he made some plays with his feet too. That's always positive to see, especially kind of shaking off that rough start that he had. That's that's what you want to see from a young quarterback. Being able to move past a slow start, not get too frustrated. You know, Maybe uh, you could say something about his composure and his ability to calm himself down. I don't know if it was him or a teammate or a coach, whatever it was. They took the pressure off of him, and he started to play better as the as the game went along. And that's what you wanted to see coming out of this game. So some good takeaways here, I think, for Penn State. Defense is great. <laughs> this is a really good defense. The, the The running game is a comfortable spot to be in with Noah Kane, I think, emerging as the guy. And you saw Sean Clifford overcome some adversity and some humongous pressure. And that's going to be key because it's going to happen again this season, probably again this week. 
So Penn State moves up to number seven in both the AP and the coaches poll. I believe they're number seven in the Super 16 poll, which I vote in as well. So uh, they, they took advantage of not only a road win against the top 25 team, but also a couple of losses around the country. Uh, it was an interesting weekend of college football. We'll talk a little bit about what happened around the rest of the Big Ten and some of the other notable games out there that have kind of uh, been impacting Penn State's ranking coming up in our second segment. Make sure you're following along with Locked On Nittany Lines on Twitter at Locked On Nittany and hop on over to Facebook.com slash Locked On Nittany and give us a like there. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on all your favorite podcasting platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. At the same time Penn State was working their way past Iowa Saturday night, there was another game in the Big Ten being played that should certainly be raising some eyebrows. The Minnesota Golden Gophers have had a season full of nail-biting wins, but Saturday night against Nebraska was anything but a nail-biter. Minnesota just blew away Nebraska, who is now a program that is really left scratching their heads. For a program that had a lot of hype coming into the season, probably realizing now it wasn't really deserved, uh, Nebraska's got some problems to deal with. And uh, a loss to Minnesota certainly digs Nebraska's hole in the Big Ten West even deeper. But Minnesota is now off to an undefeated 6-0 record. And guess what, guys? <laughs> Minnesota has a road game at Rutgers next, a home game against Maryland, and then they're going to be hosting Penn State. So there's a very good possibility Minnesota is going to be undefeated at 8-0 by the time Penn State rolls into town for what looks like a pretty big game shaping up. Now, Penn State still has a couple of things to take care of before they get to Minnesota, but you know, the possibility of an undefeated Minnesota versus an undefeated Penn State is now in play. And at worst, maybe an undefeated Minnesota versus a one-loss Penn State, that's still a huge game, no matter how you look at it. Uh, But things are looking really good for now for P.J. Fleck and Minnesota, probably emerging as the biggest threat in that Big Ten West to Wisconsin. A team who, at number eight, is coming off another shutout. This is their fourth shutout of the season, this time against Michigan State. And Penn State's got Michigan State coming up in a couple of weeks. And there is nothing about this offense that should be worrying Penn State fans, especially the way Penn State's defense is being played. But I made a comment on Twitter, and I think a lot of people either got a laugh about it or kind of agreed with me. You know, Michigan State's offense is just absolutely terrible. So you can fully expect that they're going to score 24 stupid points against Penn State in a couple weeks just for the heck of it, because that just seems to be the way it happens. But Michigan State offense is really rough, and their defense uh, had a tough time slowing down Wisconsin, who puts together another really good win, at least on paper. Uh, Wisconsin now moving up in the polls, too. They're actually one spot ahead of Penn State and number six in the major polls. So I uh, kind of expected that. kind of expected that Wisconsin was going to stay ahead of Penn State uh, because they do have a, a, a win against another top 25 team, which was Michigan. And the Michigan Wolverines are going to be coming in off of another win. And this one time, the number 16 Wolverines uh, got out of Illinois with a 42-25 to victory. Don't let the score fool you because this was a quite an interesting second half. Now, Michigan did jump out to a nice 28-0 lead, I believe it was, in the first half. But Illinois started to chip away with a late touchdown in the second quarter and then really put the pressure on as the third quarter went into the uh, the fourth quarter with a 28-25 deficit. Illinois started to put a little bit of a scare into Michigan. But credit Michigan, they did answer in the fourth quarter, kind of put the game out of reach for, for good. Uh, 42-25 victory. Michigan comes in to Penn State this weekend. And, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about them more tomorrow. 
But Michigan's going to be coming in as an eight-point underdog, I saw in the opening lines here. So this is a this is a Michigan team that is really looking for a big win. And, of course, this is going to be a big opportunity for them coming into State College this week. So Michigan, you know, defensively, I still think Michigan's a pretty good team. Offensively, they score points against the chump teams on their schedule, like Rutgers and Illinois. Can they do it against a good team? They didn't quite do it against Iowa. They didn't do it at all against Wisconsin. And they're going to be playing another really good defense at Penn State this weekend. So we'll have plenty of time this week to break down this game and get some opinions on that. But Michigan's uh, kind of an up and down season at this point in time with their offensive consistency. And we'll see what they have going in against Penn State this upcoming weekend. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, Indiana 35, Rutgers 0. Um, this was a, <laughs> I don't know how to comprehend what happened here to Rutgers. Obviously we know what's been going on with Rutgers, a coaching change, a handful of players now registering the rest of the season. Uh, this was just an abysmal performance by any stretch of the imagination. Indiana outgained Rutgers 557 to 75. This is Indiana. We're talking about not Ohio state, not Penn state, not Wisconsin, Indiana Hoosiers. 557 offensive yards, giving up just 75 in a 35 nothing victory for Indiana. That's just, uh, I don't know what to say about Rutgers at this point uh, because there's really nothing more that can be said that hasn't been said. The other latest expansion team to the Big Ten, which is the Maryland Terrapins, went on the road and they were looking for a good road victory. It was nowhere to be found here against Purdue. Purdue just smacks Maryland around in a 40-14 to victory. Purdue needed this win. They really did. They needed kind of a an opportunity to bounce back after a tough loss last week against Penn State. And this season just has not been going the way that they were envisioning it. So Maryland coming in with their own problems certainly was a good matchup, I think, for Purdue. And I kind of said that in our Big Ten preview episode last week. I didn't like the uh, the situation here for Maryland. I think Purdue is fully capable of getting a nice little bounce back win. We'll see where Purdue does moving forward here. But they needed that win. They got the win. They deserved the win. And then, like I said, Minnesota just uh, took care of business against Nebraska. Ohio State was off, so they stay at 6-0 and 3-0 in the Big Ten. And uh, Ohio State will be back in action this weekend. And I believe Northwestern was off this weekend as well. I didn't see their score anywhere, so I think they were off this week. And I think uh, Northwestern is actually hosting Ohio State this week. So just to keep an eye on that, of course, uh, Thursday, I believe, we'll try to do our Big Ten preview episode unless we have to adjust the schedule like we did last week. Of course, if you're a Penn State fan, you probably already know some of the other developments that happened outside of the conference, which affected the rankings this week. As I said, Penn State did move up three spots in the polls this week. They are now up to number seven in the AP and the coaches poll. They actually moved ahead of Notre Dame, who did not lose, but they has lost one game. And I think a lot of voters were starting to give Penn State credit for having a road win against a top 25 team. While Notre Dame's only top 25 victory came at home against a Virginia team that is actually no longer ranked. So the strength of schedule there and certainly the fact that Penn State is undefeated and Notre Dame has the one loss, even though it was on the road against Georgia. Penn State getting a little bit more credit for the strength of schedule. Number nine, Notre Dame at the time did hold off uh, an underranked USC team, a USC team that I still think is capable of doing something in the Pac-12 this year but this is the third loss for USC already so most of them have come out of conference so that's that's actually good if you're USC but there's a there's something that uh, maybe USC cracked Notre Dame a little bit and we'll see how vulnerable Notre Dame is moving forward Notre Dame's still going to be a pretty good team to keep on your radar though uh, and we'll see what USC does in the Pac-12. 
the big upsets on Saturday, of course, number three, Georgia, losing at home in double overtime to Will Muschamp's South Carolina team. A, a game that looks like nobody wanted to win it. You had missed field goals. You had some bad, weird coaching decisions. And uh, this, was a, this was a major loss for Georgia because it does knock them down in the rankings. Obviously, the college football playoff rankings will start coming out. Uh, a few weeks from now. So those will be the rankings that ultimately matter. But Georgia falls from number three all the way down to number 10 in the AP poll and in the coaches poll. So uh, the voters were not very kind to Georgia for losing at home to a South Carolina team that really is not very good. And now if you think if you look at that SEC East race, uh, Georgia is now in a in a race because they're, they're going to be tied with Georgia, uh, Florida in the loss column. Missouri hasn't lost a game yet. Georgia will get a chance to play these teams, though. But now, all of a sudden, this is a Georgia team that still has to play, I believe, uh, Auburn. I believe on the road, too. And, of course, they're going to have to play Florida, too. So, Georgia's got a little bit of a sticky situation, I think, moving forward. Not just for the SEC, but, of course, for the college football playoff. Uh, position that it looked like Georgia was firmly going to be in the running for down the stretch. Maybe they will be still, because I still think Georgia's a really good team. But uh, all of a sudden, they've got they've got a little bit of a problem on their hands. And like I said, uh, number seven, Florida at the time, uh, goes on the road. And they actually lost two. They lost to number, to number five, LSU. LSU making some big moves in within the top three of the polls now. Uh, big win for LSU. L- that LSU team looks really good. A 42-28 to 28 victory. It was close for a while. LSU just kind of put the game away and put it out of reach. And, of course, in the Big 12, you had the Red River rivalry game. Between number six, Oklahoma, and number 11, Texas. I forget what they were ranked now. But uh, Oklahoma does pull away and take care of Texas. It's a 34-27 victory. But it just seems like Oklahoma had this game under wraps for quite some time. Uh, Texas made a, a push every now and then. But Oklahoma had an answer. So it's the second loss for Texas on the year. So that knocks them far out of the playoff conversation for quite some time. They're going to need a lot of help just to get in back into the mix. And for, for Oklahoma, of course, they're firmly in the playoff hunt. And this actually kind of makes the Big 12 picture a little bit more straightforward. It just looks like it's Oklahoma or a bust. I don't think that Baylor's going to be a team that pushes Oklahoma here. But uh, the Big 12 takes a little bit of a hit with Texas losing as far as the conference picture for the college football playoff in the months to come. It does seem like it's going to be Oklahoma or a bust out of the Big 12. So those are some of the other games. And just real quick, Temple with a 30-28 to 28 victory over the Memphis Tigers. You know, we're in Pennsylvania. If you want to keep an eye on what Temple's doing, I know Penn State doesn't play Temple, but, you know, that was a that's a pretty good win for Rod Carey and the Owls, p- picking up their second win against a top 25 team this year. Uh, of course, the other one was against Maryland, and Temple would rather you not pay attention to what has happened to Maryland since that game. But, hey, good good thing for Temple right now. Good Good stuff going on down there in the city of brotherly love. All right, coming up in our third and final segment for this Monday episode, we'll dig into the mailbag. We do have a couple of questions that came in our way on the Twitter account, at LockedOnNittany. You can send us your questions at any time, and we'll mix them in with the mailbag features as throughout the week as we see fit. If we have a lot of questions, we'll dig in and we'll spend a whole segment on those. So coming up in our third and final segment, we'll take a look at what questions you guys had for Penn State after that win against Iowa. It is time to dig into our mailbag, and after Saturday's win against Iowa and with Michigan coming into town, 
figured there were a couple questions worth digging into. And I was happy to see a couple questions come in on the Twitter account at Locked On Nittany. Again, you can send your questions at any time, any time of the day, and we'll try to include these questions as we put together our episodes. So, first question in our mailbag today comes from our friend Andrew Coppins. You can catch him on Twitter at the Coppins Show. Especially if you're a Wisconsin fan, give him a follow. He's a he's a big Wisconsin guy. He's our go-to resource for the Badgers. Randy wants to know. Will there be 20 total points scored between Michigan and Penn State next week? Now, Andy, as I'm recording this, I have not looked at any early over-under numbers, but I would believe that, yes, we will probably hit the over, uh, but, but it may be just barely. I think, actually, uh, like I said, we're going to discuss this Penn State-Michigan game as the week goes, and we have a lot of thoughts to get to. But real quick, I do think that we're going to be in store for yet another Good defensive battle, sort of like what we just saw with Penn State and Iowa, like we saw with Michigan and Iowa. I think if having that common opponent over the last couple of weeks kind of gives us a good indication for what we're going to expect here because if they're going to play the similar style of defenses against the Hawkeyes, I believe they're going to do a lot of the same things against each other. And really, I think you know Michigan's offense still has some question marks for me. And I think it's fair to say that Penn State is going to be an offense that against this particular team is going to struggle to score a whole ton of points. I don't think we're going to see a blowout either way as this series has had the last three seasons and uh, so, with a couple of so-and-so revenge games thrown in the mix. I, I don't think this game gets carried away in any way. I don't think Michigan comes in and blows the doors off Penn State, and I don't think Penn State mops the floor of Michigan. I really do feel like this one's going to be a little bit more even than we've seen the last three seasons. And uh, honestly, I think that that'll be fun. I really do think that we've got a couple of really good defenses going head-to-head here in Beaver Stadium Saturday night. And just a matter of whether or not Penn State's going to be able to keep Sean Clifford uh, comfortable. And as we saw against Iowa, Michigan can probably get to Sean Clifford early on. And if they can force him to make a mistake, that'd be huge. But I think as long as Sean Clifford hangs in there, keeps himself composed and allows the game to kind of slow down at some point, I do think that they'll get into that comfort zone like we saw against Iowa. Again, he started off 0-5 against Iowa, 0-4-5 against Iowa, and then he started to get in a little bit of a rhythm. He started completing a couple passes, gained some confidence, and they weren't really necessarily testing him to go deep or anything, but they were finding some good opportunities to get the ball moving down the field. And ultimately, I think that's the style of game we're going to see. So will we see 20 total points? Yeah, I do, I do think so. I, and I know you're probably saying a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but I do think that this is uh, going to be another race to 20 points, potentially. Uh, and I do think that that's uh, something that we're going to be looking forward to. I think there's a, going to be a lot of defense in this game coming up. Second question comes from uh, Barry on Twitter. He asked, why hasn't O'Neill been fired yet? <laughs> and I have a feeling uh, he's talking about Big Ten referee John O'Neill, who was the head official for Saturday night's game. And I think when people started to see that he was going to be the official for the game, there was already a lot of people expecting that there are going to be some controversial calls. And yes, wouldn't you know, there were some controversial calls. Now, I said that this was going to be a race to 20 points, and I think Penn State should have been at 20 points because that touchdown, I think, to Pat Fryermuth was incorrectly overturned. And the explanation given, as relayed by David Jones of the Patriot News and PennLive.com, uh, basically saying that the official word through the Iowa athletics uh, contact there was that the Big Ten officials felt it was a judgment call and there was going to be no further explanation. By the time you're listening to this episode, I would fully expect that the Big Ten has addressed this a little bit more thoroughly. 
because the if that is the case, the explanation given for why that Penn State touchdown was called off the field, which eventually resulted in a field goal for Penn State, and what could have been a really big turning point, I do feel like this needs to be addressed because that's not how instant replay is supposed to work. And I kind of, I kind of, re, I retweeted what David Jones said, uh, and I, I added my comment in my best Han Solo voice. That's not how instant replay works. <laughs> and I, I can't believe that that was the explanation given that it was a judgment call because you're not supposed to have judgment calls with that just kind of a blanket blanket terminology. In order for an instant replay to overturn the call on the field, there has to be indisputable video evidence. And I think if you were watching the the broadcast, you heard the announcers and you heard the official, the rules expert, and you saw plenty of people on Twitter probably saying, and not just Penn State fans, but people like David Pollock. Uh, there was a wide-ranging collection of people saying that not only did that video replay show that it should have been a touchdown, it was indisputable proof that would have overturned the ball being short in many cases. So if anything, that was indisputable video evidence that the touchdown should have counted, at least in the eyes of the people that I was seeing uh, reacting to it, either on TV or on Twitter. Now, maybe there were some people who said that while well, his hand was down, that just counts as down. Maybe that was maybe that was the line of thinking. And I'll be honest, I actually thought that once the hand was down, that that ball was going to be ruled short. I I did kind of think of, at first that the the ball should have been ruled short of the goal line. And I know that's probably not going to make me popular in the Penn State blogosphere or anything like that, but that was my initial reaction. So I, was, I wasn't surprised that the touchdown was called off the field. But then I see all the reactions that everybody else is having, and it started to make me think, well, maybe I'm wrong. And then I realized that the hand being down, I think, is the controversial part. I think that the hand being down in many cases is viewed as the player being down. But I think there's a lot of people that say that the hand shouldn't be down. And I think I've seen it called both ways. So I'm not really entirely sure what the correct uh, response should have been to that from a rules point of view. He was obviously going down. There's no question about that. And uh, uh, it's just a matter of whether or not the ball was across the line before you ruled him down. If you're going to rule him down as the hand being down, fine. Say that, though. Say that that's your explanation. And we never got that explanation. And that's the biggest problem that I have. I, I need more than it was just a judgment call with no actual explanation for why that judgment was the decision made. So I was surprised that the touchdown uh, overturn became as controversial as it already was. Uh, and that could have been a real big pivotal point. Because if Iowa goes on to win that game, and let's say they win by two points or three points, those Four lost points on the scoreboard there because Penn State did score a field goal a few plays later. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. And you cannot have a game decided in that fashion. Fortunately for Penn State, it wasn't this time. But it's also not the first time that John O'Neill has caused some controversy as far as the Penn State fans are concerned. And it probably won't be the last time either. And that's going to be a wrap for our first episode of this week. And it's going to be a big week on the podcast. You want to make sure you're subscribed. You want to make sure you're following along on Twitter and on Facebook because we've got a lot of good stuff to get to. We're probably going to have another crossover episode. I might have another guest coming on the show. Got a lot of stuff to talk to because Penn State is playing Michigan this week. So you want to stay tuned to every episode Monday through Friday. Make sure you subscribe to the Locked on Nittany Lions podcast on 
iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and on iHeartRadio. I feel like Santa Claus calling out his reindeer right now. But yeah, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We're going to do a new episode every Monday through Friday, of course, as we continue on our third week with the relaunch of this podcast. It's been a lot of fun so far, and we're going to have our biggest week, I think, so far this week. I can just feel it. Coming up in tomorrow's episode, we'll take our first look at the Michigan Wolverines, see what they've been up to this season, see what's going right, what's going wrong. And we'll have our long overdue reaction to HBO Sports' 24-7 college football episode from last week featuring James Franklin and your Nittany Lions. We'll also take a look at the, your suggestions for who should be the guest picker on College Game Day. So make sure you're following us on Twitter and tweet us who you think should be the guest picker this week on ESPN College Game Day as they head to Penn State for the third consecutive year. Again, we've got new episodes every Monday through Friday. You can subscribe on all your major podcasting platforms. Rate, review, help spread the word about this podcast. It does help with the placement on those platforms as well as we try to grow the show throughout the rest of this college football season. And who knows? We'll see what happens in the offseason. You can share this episode on Facebook, on Twitter, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and on Facebook at LockedOnNittany. I'm Kevin McGuire. You can give me a follow on Twitter at KevinOnCFB. And until next time, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Have a great Monday. Let's get this week started on the right foot, and it's going to have a lot of stuff happening this week. So let's get all on board right now. I'll talk to you tomorrow, guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you then.